0: morning, everybody. All right. Uh, We'd love to have you take out your Bibles. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, uh, no, no worries. There are red ones um, probably in the seat in front of you. You can follow along in. Or you can, there's an insert in the bulletin, um, and you can scan the QR code on that, and it'll take you to a Bible app so you can follow along that way. Everybody doing all right? Good. Good deal. Uh, My voice is kind of hoarse this morning. I uh, was at a kind of a worship evening on Friday night, Outcry in Wichita. I'm just out of curiosity, how many of you were there? I know we had a number of journeyers from all three campuses there. Very cool. Um, And so we uh, we were blessed with uh, somebody who reserved some seats, and we got to sit on the front row. I'm thirty almost six years old, and I was uh, about 36 inches uh, from a subwoofer that was the size of a small rhinoceros, and there was like 10 of them around the, uh, around the front of the stage, and so all of the base that was going to the back row, like 6,000 people or whatever it was in this place, was all going through us in the front row, and I've never felt so old in my life. Um, but you're singing, it was awesome, you were know, singing, and uh, together with these people, just passionate about worshiping Jesus, and realize about like two hours into this thing, I have to stop singing, or I'm not going to have a voice left. So I am struggling a little bit with some, a uh, uh, little bit of my voice, but uh, I uh, hope it holds out. So we are wrapping up this series this morning called, um, the series is called, the, 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 what is it? Somebody read it for me? Thank you very much. I was talking to somebody else about another series we did about the cross and got confused. It's always good when you know what you're talking about. So the foolishness of the cross, it's all part of it. i was just trying to look foolish in front of you all. So the, the foolishness of the cross, we started this on Easter Sunday a couple of weeks ago and been talking about how the cross, it, it might look foolish t- from the outside. Like when you're, when you're looking, like just purely from this outside perspective, to say, wait, wait a second, you followers of Jesus, you worship this man who was crucified, I mean, who was who was killed. He gave up his life on a Roman cross. And you worship him as the risen king of heaven and earth. Like, in some respects, from the outsider's perspective, that can look foolish. But one of the things we talked about is how um, when you actually step on the inside of that reality, When you open yourself up to this is actually the clearest revelation of who God is. This is the cross is the clearest revelation of God's character. That God is self-sacrificial love and ultimately even sacrificing himself, his own self on the cross to make a way for us to be redeemed and restored and to have new life and eternal life. This is the power of God. And so the invitation is to step on the inside of the reality of the cross, to receive the power of it. And then last week we talked about how the cross actually sets us free from shame. I know I've had conversations with some of you, uh, just about how that that reality of shame um, has been a controlling thing. That so much of our lives are 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 either trying to, to to stave off shame, feeling ashamed, or motivated because somebody has made us feel ashamed about certain things, and we so we try to we try to like use that to motivate us. And the gospel is about being set free from shame. This is what Jesus did. Jesus took all of the shame and he took it all on himself and he sets us free from it so we don't have to be controlled by shame anymore. That's good news, right? Somebody said amen to that. So um, this morning what we want to do, though, is look at the cross as a daily practice. The cross isn't just something we look at and we say, okay, uh, this is an event that happened a couple thousand years ago and it's the power of God and it sets us free from shame. But Jesus actually invites us into a cross way of living that the cross becomes this daily way of living in the world as disciples of Jesus. So let's take a look. Luke chapter 9, just one verse. Verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus says, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple. This is the uh, first part of that verse. want to sort of zero in on that. Whoever wants... To be my disciple. Isn't it interesting that Jesus begins that way? In fact, he often begins that way. He, he, he looks at people and he says, So tell me, like, what do you want? In fact, uh, John's gospel starts that way. John um, the Baptist is there, and he, John the Baptist has his own disciples, these people who are giving their lives to be like John the Baptist. And one day, Jesus comes walking along somehow, and John is teaching his disciples, and he looks at Jesus, and he says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And John's disciples hear it, and they start following Jesus. And so Jesus is walking down the road, and he turns around, and he sees John's disciples following him, and he asks a question, so what do you want? And I don't hear it as being like, what do you want? You want peace of me? Um... It's not, uh, I don't think that's what Jesus said, but it's, it's this deep question of saying, like, what do you want? And of course, we, we like all expect him to say, like, I'll, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. Um, <laughs> we all expect that. That's not the way they go. But Jesus, he, um, he asks this question, what, what do you want? What are the desires of your heart? Like, what do you want more than anything else in the world? And Jesus does this throughout His ministry. There's a man uh, whose name is Bartimaeus, and he's been blind since birth, and he's just been, sort of been tossed aside like a piece of garbage on the side of the road. That's his existence. This on the side of the road, just sort of begging. And Jesus is coming along, and there have been these, these stories of Jesus, this miraculous power of God, healing people. And so Bartimaeus starts to call out to Him, and everybody around Him says, "Bartimaeus, like, be quiet, just be quiet." And he calls out all the louder and Jesus stops and he looks at Bartimaeus and he asks him the question, what do you want me to do for you? He doesn't presume to know what Bartimaeus wants. Of course he wants his sight. He's blind. He needs his sight restored. But Jesus doesn't rob Bartimaeus of his dignity. He says, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I want to see. And Jesus heals him and he can see. Jesus is always asking these questions. What do you want? And this is, this is an amazing question, that Jesus honors our choice. And he asks us this question, do you want to be my disciple? Because it's a choice. He doesn't force us to be his disciples. He said, do you, do you want it? The question that's sort of been rattling my cage this week is, is, do I honestly want to be a disciple of Jesus more than I want anything else in my whole life? I mean, to the objective observer, with they looking at my life, and here's a thought experiment. Imagine somebody's going to make a, a documentary of your life. They'd say, hey, I just want to, like, super interesting. I just want to make a documentary of your life, a day in the life or whatever. And they follow you around, have all of your interactions, your work, your phone calls, your whatever, conversations. And um, 24 hours of your life, what would they say after watching this through the lens of a camera, what would they say you want more than anything else based on the way that you interact with people? That, the thought experiment has been messing me up. Would, do I want Jesus, to the objective observer, do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Does the life of Jesus permeate everything I do, the conversations I have, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the way I deal with conflict, all of that. Do I want to be a disciple of Jesus more than anything else in this world? And this is the question Jesus offers us. For whoever wants to be my disciple, a disciple is just an apprentice, it's somebody who's like giving themselves to be like their teacher, like the one they're following. And so there, there's this, at the beginning um, of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is there and he's like teaching and, and large crowds of people are gathering, right? I mean, there's this, there's this news, this buzz going around. They're like, there's this, this man and he, he might be the Messiah. He might be the Christ, the Savior of the world. And so people start to gather start to sort of press in on him. And it says, like, in Matthew 5, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds of people. So here's the interesting thing. Jesus was never interested in, like, filling, you know, huge stadiums. Jesus was never interested in, like, mass appeal because he knew that the masses turned very quickly. And they did on him, right? Jesus was never interested in, like, you know, social media campaigns, you know. How many followers? do you have more followers than Justin Bieber. Um, Jesus wouldn't have been interested in that kind of thing. So here's what he does. Jesus sees the crowds of people, and he turns, and it says he went up the mountainside. He went up the mountainside. He left the crowds, and his disciples followed him. And it says that he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So this whole interaction of Jesus, like he moves away from the crowds of people. And anybody who chooses to follow him up the mountain can. Do you want to? Do, you, do we want to follow Jesus? Do we want to be his disciple? Are we willing to walk away from the crowds of popular opinion and mass appeal when everyone else is sort of clamoring about this thing? We say, actually, the thing I want more than anything else is to sit at the feet of Jesus and to give him the highest authority to allow his words to have access to shape my life because I want to be his disciple. Because I believe that he holds the keys of life and I will give my life for it. I hope that's where we are. This is our vision as a church, um, is to say we want to replicate Jesus. We want to be disciples who make disciples. We want more than anything else. We want it to follow Jesus. And and so we can just real honestly reflect on that question. Do you want it more than anything? And to be honest, Jesus deals in the commodity of honesty. There's no use in saying, yes, I want it, and in reality, I don't. And so to just really honestly say, Jesus, like, maybe if I'm really honest, I don't. There are lots of other things I want more. But I want to want you. Like, I I want to want you. I want to follow you. And so to just sort of give Jesus access to speak in that place. So anyhow, so then Jesus, he, he moves on. He says, so those who want to be my disciple, here's the deal then. You're following me. You're sitting at my feet. You're giving me access to your life to teach you, to form you in my way. And then he says this. You actually must deny themselves, or they must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. Like, anybody else get, like, an ouch when you hear that? Like, Jesus, that's really hard. Deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. So, Jesus, for those who want to, for those who choose, for those who have accepted this invitation to come and sit at Jesus' feet, here's the, here's the tough news, is that it costs you something. And, in fact, it costs you Everything. That it's this free gift of grace that will cost us everything. What does that mean? Jesus says you must deny themselves, take up the cross daily and follow me. Now here's, um, I'm pretty convinced. I, I really think this has the, the power to set people free. So I'd love for you to just do whatever you need to, t- to hear this. Because this is, it's, it's a subtle shift, but it is so powerful if it sinks in. I think most of us start this life of discipleship from the wrong place. And when you start at the wrong place, you usually end up at the wrong destination. It it sets a trajectory for your life. And the wrong place that we often start from is this, that God's, God's sort of desire for us is to be good. That's it. What does God want for us? He wants us to be good. He wants us to be better, which means I need to stop doing these bad things and start doing these good things. And if I could just do more of these good things, then God would be pleased with me, my life would be blessed, and you know, smooth sailing from there on up. That's the starting point many of us begin from. But I would love to have us just absolutely dismantle that as a mindset. That God's desire is not for us to be good. It's never been God's desire to say, "Be good. Just do less bad things, more good things." God's desire is for us to be His, for us to belong to Him, and there is a drastic difference between those two things. To to be His, He wants us for Himself. And so one of the things that happens, uh, there's actually two things that that can happen when we start from this place of be good, and that's God's desire, is the first thing is we will end up getting super frustrated. And most of the time, we'll just throw in the towel. How many of you have had habits you've tried to overcome by willpower, the power of your will? You wake up in the morning, you say, I'm not going to do that today. And then you lay your head on the pillow at night, and you're like, oh, man, I did it again. Tomorrow! And we just live this cycle of willpower and then the willpower fails. How many of you have been on a diet recently? You don't have to raise your hands. No worries. Um, see, the problem is I really want to be healthy. And I really want cake too. Like I, I, I want cookies or brownies or nachos, whatever. So like there's, there's this battle of like, okay, which one do I want more? Do I want to be healthy? Do I want to be like Howard? You know, and need... It's raw fruits and vegetables for me today, but I, it's like nine o'clock and there's a donut right there. Like, so there's this frustration, and so what ends up happening? We scrap it. We just throw in the towel. We say, it's too hard. It's too hard to try to be good. I've tried to change this pattern of my life, and I've, I've just been you know, slamming my head against the wall, trying to grit it out by the power of my will, and I can't do it. That's one thing that'll happen. We'll just give in, and we'll just go back to whatever feels good. And, and whatever ourself wants to do. The second thing that could happen is we just become an absolutely miserable person. When you're living your whole life in this inner conflict of like, it's, it's, it's this thing, but I want to do that thing, you just become a miserable person and you start to see the world through the lens of your suffering. Then you start to say, why is nobody noticing how hard I'm working to be good? All these people out there, nobody cares and they don't see how hard I'm working to try to keep these desires at bay and, and to try to be good. And we just become this small, miserable person and that misery just begins to spread to our relationships and our friends and our families. And so that is what happens when we begin at the starting place. But the starting place of the gospel says that Jesus doesn't want us to be good. He wants us to be his. And the moment of transformation comes when we give that whole system up and we say, Jesus, I actually surrender all of that to you because I can't be good. I can't fix it by the power of my will. And the point is not to do it, but to actually die to ourselves so that we can be raised to brand new life in Christ. So some of us, we, we, we live in these patterns of like, I, man, I wish I could overcome you know, these destructive behaviors. I wish I could overcome these angry outbursts. Tim talked about language, right? I, w- I wish I could overcome that, but I, but I can't. I wish I could overcome substance abuse. I just, I abuse these substances and I turn to them to, to try to meet a need in me and I just, I want to, I want to be fixed. I want to, to, you know, to be delivered of that power, but I can't do it. I want to be delivered from lust and pornography, but I just, like, I keep being pulled back into this current and I can't, break free from it and the moment of transformation comes and I could tell you story after story after story in my own lives and the lives of, of people I do life with that the moment of transformation comes when we stop trying to willpower our way into it and we surrender our lives to Jesus and we're all in and we're his. And that's the moment of transformation. This is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple... It's going to cost you everything, but it's going to be your key to life. This message, this, this like radically irreligious message, because this whole thing over here is trying to be good enough, is just, it's religion, and the radically irreligious message of Jesus is both harder and easier than any other message in the world. And it's harder because Jesus says this there's only one way, and it's, it's all in surrender, like complete surrender. And that's really difficult because I don't know about you, but I hate surrender. Say uncle. No, I won't say uncle. Say uncle. I won't do it. Like, break my arm, whatever. You know, you're wrestling. This is Carmen and I, if you didn't catch up on that. Um, <laughs> she's tougher than she looks. Um, I hate surrender. And so it's the hardest thing in the world to say, like, "Okay, Jesus, I'm done, and I, I give up, and I surrender to you." That is the most difficult thing in the world. And Jesus says, "Actually, that's that's the only way to life, is to surrender." So it's the hardest thing in the world, but it's also the easiest thing in the world because then Jesus says, "You come to me if you're burnt out on religion, like you're just tired and exhausted from that. Come to me, and I'll give you rest for your souls. My yoke, life with me, it is easy. My burden is light." It's the hardest and the easiest thing in the world. Does that make sense? Anybody? All right. Excuse me, my head's nodding. Good. So this, this is the way of the cross. And it is, it's radically countercultural because here's the deal. Uh, our, our whole culture is obsessed with self. Who's king in our culture? Me. I'm king. LeBron James. I love LeBron James. Uh, clearly the MVP, right? Um, no? You guys don't care about the NBA? Okay. So LeBron last week... Um, uh, he wore these sneakers uh, to, to uh, one of the games, I even forget which one it was, I think it was New York, that said, I'm king. On the back of his sneakers said, I'm king. Now, at first he was like, well, it's clearly true, he, he is. Um, but, but it's also this kind of like, I saw that, I'm like, this is a prophetic statement for the reality that most of us live in. Who's king of my life? Me. Who who gets say-so over decisions of what I do and what I want and all of that? Me. I'm king. And we live in the culture that says, king me. I'm the one in charge. And and we talk about self-expression. Like, we just like, you know what we should do? We should express ourselves because we're smart. And we have really good perspectives. And people should hear what I have to say. So social media becomes this tool of self-expression. And it just sort of feeds our self, feeds our narcissism. We talk about self-discovery, like if you could just discover yourself, um, life would be, that's where freedom is, and life would be so much better, self-actualization. You hear these terms, right? Like the thing is just to sort of like come into the reality of, of who you really are, yourself. And we've gotten to this place where, where self is king, not by accident. It was actually the original sin. This is the sin that, that the serpent tempts Eve with in the garden. Adam and Eve says, don't you want to be like God? Like you, there's this throne in our lives and you actually want to sit on it. And this whole, this whole thing in our culture, how many of you have heard about uh, Frederick Nietzsche? Anybody? Okay, so uh, I see that hand. Jesse and I are in school together. Um, so, Friedrich Nietzsche was a German philosopher, 1884 to 1900. And this is uh, one of his most famous quotes. He was—he was an atheist, by the way. And so, um, let's just read the quote. Whither is God? Uh, that just means, where is God? Whither? Um, whither is God? I will tell you. We have killed him. You and I. All of us are his murderers. God is dead. God remains dead, and we have killed him. This is one of Friedrich Nietzsche's most famous quotes. Now, now, he was an atheist, so he is not saying that there is this divine being named God that is, used to be alive but is now dead. That is not what he's saying. He never believed that. What he's saying is that this is a cultural reality, that people have stopped living with this sense of transcendence, that there is a God who we submit to, and we follow this truth that comes from beyond us. And so that's what he's saying, because of lots of different things, but during the age of reason, you know, you have, you have science, and the rise of science, and science explains everything, was the logic. And this world is closed, it's, it's pure naturalism, there are no miracles, there is nothing, that, there is no God that is intervening in this world. That became the mindset that most people began to live with. And I would argue that it's a mindset that many of us still live with even though we profess faith in Jesus. That we live in this way of, of just sort of practical atheism. That, that the church at large, we, we can profess faith in Jesus, but if a documentary crew was going to follow me along, lot, around, they would, they would find that I actually don't live as if there was a God who loved me and was present with me and was guiding me and I had a mission to make known to the world. That I can live my life from Sunday to Sunday as a practical atheist. And this is kind of a confession, right? I mean, we, I'm guessing I'm not the only one. So, but this was Nietzsche's, look out, he says, God, the reality of God, people are leaving this behind, and what happens in its place? He goes on to say, "We mu- must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? So let's be clear. Nietzsche was an atheist, he did not come from a Christian perspective, but I think he had really important things to say here about the reality we find ourselves in in our culture. Self has become God. When, when, there, when the larger perspective is not that there is a God who loves us and who is at work in the world and who has acted on our behalf in Christ, what happens is self rises into that void and we take up the thrones, the throne of our life, and what happens is we become these just sort of self-feeding monsters culture as a self or as a whole takes on this whole perspective but the way of Jesus those who are choosing who want more than anything to be disciples of Jesus are those in the middle of a world where everybody else is talking about self-discovery we are actually believing that there is some wisdom in self-discipline that there is wisdom in actually submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, of giving his words authority to shape us. We actually believe there is there's wisdom in some self-denial of saying, actually, myself isn't all that great. Like, if I'm going to be really honest, myself is not all that special, because part of myself and yourself is created in the image of God and is, is what God wants you to be. And, and that is good and beautiful. And the first words God spoke over you were, it is good. But there is this other part of myself that is ego and is small and is petty and left alone to myself will lead me to self-destruction and so we surrender ourselves to Jesus because this is the path to life we believe that there's wisdom in sitting at the feet of Jesus self-control self-restraint self-denial these are things these are these are beautiful words that i think are absolutely countercultural and that the church the church has a voice the church has a voice to show um, to show the, the the wider world away we we live in the kingdom of god where we submit to Jesus as King, would you agree? So, here's where I want to just sort of just sort of land. Um, as we did this series a couple of couple of months ago, right at the beginning of the year, and said so we want to be people who are formed in the way of Jesus, who are um, who are actually living sort of this upstream lifestyle in a world that's sort of bent on self. We actually want to we want to give ourselves away. And here are five simple practices. Again, these are not religious things to say, if you do more of these, God will love you more. These are just ways of saying, if we're choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus, these are probably things that are going to inform our life. That we're going to be people who bless others. Like, we're just going to look, while everybody else is saying, um, how, how do I get my voice heard? How do I, um, <clears throat> you'll get a bigger platform for myself. We're those who say, what do you need? We, we look at the other and we serve, and we love, and we bless people. We speak words of affirmation. We're, we're, as a church, we're people who bless others. We, we share meals with people. We invite people into our lives around a table, and we share meals. We break bread together, and we honor each other. And, and so we want our lives to, to, uh, to, to show that, to eat meals together, to spend time listening to the Spirit, that... that That if we believe that there is a God who loves us, that is present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that is at work inside of us, then we take time to just to listen, to make space, to say, God, what do you want to say to me? And we don't just do this by ourselves, we actually do it in community as well. We listen to the Spirit together, we learn Jesus, like we'll set aside time if we want to be like Jesus more than anything else, to actually just like to soak in the words of Jesus, to sit at his feet, to let his words have authority to shape us and to form us, and to be people who are sent into this world, to be sent into this world as agents of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of God, to live out a a radically different reality, submitted to the person of Jesus here and now in this world. i invite you to stand as we close. Um, And I want to just sort of give this this moment if if as the worship team comes up and as we begin to sing a, a couple more songs if you have this this sense of surrender of saying Jesus I am if I'm really honest I have I have been running my life my self-interest have been running my life and there's no condemnation for that there's no shame there's just the simple acknowledgement, Jesus, I, I want you to be king. I want you to be king today, in this moment, right now. And so I just want to give you some space, um, give you some space to just speak those words to Jesus, however you want to say them. Jesus, I want you to be king.